Welcome to the Digital Workplace Podcast. These are conversations with CEOs of digital companies, thought leaders, and solution providers about how you can become a level five digital workplace. For the show notes and transcript of this episode, go to thedigitalworkplace.com. Welcome back to the show. Today, our guest is Sean Lane. He's the CEO of Olive. Hi, Sean. How are you doing today? Doing great. How are you, Neil? I'm doing excellent. Sean, I'm excited to speak with you and to learn more about you. Why don't you start off just telling us a little bit about yourself and what Olive is? Sure. So, um, you know, I'm the CEO of Olive. I founded the company in 2012. Prior to that, I was actually a military intelligence officer. Okay. Spent most of my career at NSA. I was uh, on the technology side, but, you know, really great way to learn technology very, very quickly. Um, You know, Olive is a company that is building an AI workforce. And we're doing a, we're building an AI workforce for healthcare, and the idea of an AI workforce is, you know, workers in healthcare have been plagued with systems that are you know old, antiquated. They don't talk to each other. They're not connected, and a lot of humans spend an inordinate amount of time just processing and moving data from one system to the next, um, doing things that really you know AI workers can do very well. And we say AI workers, it's you know, software robots with varying levels of complexity and sophistication, you know, sometimes using machine and deep learning, sometimes not, sometimes using, you know, optical character recognition, computer vision, um, you know, whatever they need to do the job. But these AI workers, they show up to work just like a human worker would. They take on tasks um, and they augment in the staff inside of a health system, which is our focus. So we're, we're focused on p- providing this AI workforce for health systems. Um, company is uh, is distributed, as I'm sure we'll talk about, but we've got about 240 employees now. We talked about this before, but when you say 240 employees, you're talking about humans working for you right now, right? That's right. We have 240 humans. We actually do track. I, I have an org chart that I that I get you know on a regular basis updated. And just this year, we added um, not only to track human workers, but also AI workers. Um, so I believe our total... If you take the human power being generated by our um, AI workers and our human workers, it's equivalent to about 1,200 full-time, full-time employees. Wow. All right. So there's a lot of terms I want to unpack here. First off, just within the healthcare industry, how would you describe the difference between a human worker who's just doing their job, an augmented worker who's using technology to increase their output, and an AI worker? Break down those three terms for us. Yeah, sure. So... The human worker, as you know today, right? They are working on the systems they have been provided. They're doing their jobs. Um, there's varying kind of ideas around how much productive, you know, how many productive hours they have in a day. I think somewhere between six point four and the Bureau of Labor Statistics, I think, has it even lower. Um, because you know, you have a there's social creatures and there's different things they do. So human workers um, show up, and in healthcare, there's a is a large number, like 30% of everything that any human worker does is administrative. 25% of every worker's full-time job is nothing but administrative work. And these are typically rote kind of processes that they're doing the same thing every day, day in and day out. So that's your typical human worker. The AI worker is a software robot um, that's working kind of unattended in the cloud and servers at night, um, sometimes during the day. They're asynchronous. They're logged into systems just like a human worker would be, to taking on these high-volume tasks, 
um, getting through large numbers of workflows um, could be things like you know, checking insurance eligibility, processing claims, doing prior authorization for you know X-rays and drugs. Um, really, a lot of the the high volume stuff that is happening in healthcare today. And then in the middle is that is the kind of combination of both of them. We call the we call that cybernetics, and that is really where the human and the AI worker is working hand in hand. Um, you know, and our goal in that in that realm is to turn human workers into superhuman workers. This idea that you can paired with a with an AI worker, um, you can increase productivity, increase efficiency, decrease errors. And really bring everybody to the same level uh, from a performance perspective. So those are the three pieces. And, and for us, we think of those three things as making up the total workforce of a system. So we have a total workforce concept, which is AI workers, human workers, and then the combination of AI and human workers together. Now, we're always talking about uh, productivity on the show. We're, we're learning about how we can measure productivity in other ways. You have a, a system, which you, you referred to earlier, about human power when, when it comes to it, and equivalent being horsepower, like back in, in the day, bringing up that. So walk us through that concept. Yeah, so when we, when we started putting this AI workforce into existence, it was relative, I mean, it's a new concept. I mean, the, AI, the idea of an AI workforce as, a, as augmenting the entire industry was new. And the question was like, how do you measure it? How do you measure the output? And it's not as easy as, you know, one bot, you know, having the same output as one human. It's very, very different because, you know, an AI worker may be able to produce, you know, a lot more um, output than a single human. And I looked back in history and said, we've done this before. Uh, When we, you know, when the engine became, you know, commonplace, the combustion engine, the steam engine, um, Watt, who's James Watt, the guy who created Watts, as we know today, came up with this idea of something called horsepower. And horsepower was, you know, basically we knew what a horse could do. We knew the power that a horse could exert. So if we thought of engines and motors, you know, in the same, the equivalent, you know, any machine could, could do like eight horsepower worth of work. It made sense to us. We could reason about it. And today it's like, it's like natural language is part of everything we say. Like this car has a 200 horsepower engine that, you know, garage door opener is two horsepower. My garbage disposal is two horsepower. So like, or I, I think that's pretty high for garbage disposal, but the point is uh, we, we, we accept that as the way to measure an engine today. And people generally understand it. So I thought, what it would, wouldn't it be interesting if we measured our machines, our AI workers with human power? Um, very similarly to what how James Watt did with horsepower, and we said, you know, let's let's look at what a human can produce um, in a in a given day, in a given week, in a given year, and let's create a number associated with that for whatever that AI worker can produce. So, you know, one AI worker might be able to produce twenty human power, and you know that would be, and the way you, you calculate that is, you know, the time it takes a human to complete one circuit of work. So we, we call them circuits. So from end to end, one, one you know, complete loop of work and then times the available hours they have in the day. And then you, you look at that compared to what the AI worker can do. And that's how you get the, the human power. So right now we have 1,700 human power every month that we generate, which is equivalent to about 4,700 humans. 4,700, because you actually take the human power and you have to, 
account for breaks and days off and things like that. So it's about 4,700 humans worth of work is what all of generates today. So do you feel like when you're explaining this to customers, is it something they immediately latch onto? Do you feel like you're just kind of talking about terms that maybe in 20 years will make sense? Or where do you feel like in terms of common people understanding it? You know, they look to us to define the future as it pertains to an AI workforce because it's very new for them. And they they know there's certain concepts that they might not completely understand, but they know are going to be commonplace. And so they trust us to educate them on what we think is going to be the way of the future. So if we say human power, you don't have to really worry about it, but know that you're going to hear about it a lot in the future. And you're going to start to you know really assess the output of your AI workers on this new measurement. And we're going to go ahead and Ed, tell you about it. We're going to, we're going to show you what it, the measurements, but you, you won't probably hear about it in the market for a couple of years. And, and they accept that. And I think, you know, part of it too is defining those things. You know, somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to define it. Somebody's got to put it into place, put it into practice. For us, it's extraordinarily valuable because we can see the growth of our AI workforce. Um, and there's a really distinct way to measure it. So let's say that this term catches on. Uh, people talk, start talking about human power in the future. When they're talking about, okay, here's this model of this AI. It, it has X, you know, human power that's there. How does that translate then to the actual human? Like if we take the equivalent to horses, like I don't walk up and look at a horse and say, I wonder how much horsepower this has, because you know it just has one when you're there. So when it comes to what humans should be doing as we move into the future, as robots and, and, and systems start to do more things that humans used to do, and as humans start to do more other tasks, should we start to look at other ways to measure human productivity as well? Yeah, I mean, no, I think it's a great it's a great question. Um, I think it's really relative, right? So like the productivity of a human is relative to all the humans around them. You know, there's no real standard. Um, we have we have two things, two concepts that we use to to think about this, right? Uh, the first is computational ethnography. So. Um, ethnography is like the study, anthropological study of, you know, in a lot of cases work, you know, how people are working and computational ethnography is really looking at what they're doing on their computers, on their information systems. Like what are they clicking on? What applications are they using? You know, how are they producing their work? Um, so that, so that is a pretty, you know, important thing that we think about. The second is a term that we came up with called ergophonomics. So ergo meaning work is you know, everybody knows that. And then phenomics is like phenotyping. So every human has an ergo phenotype. They have a way they work and it's the things they do. It's the mixture of tasks they do, the way they do it, the tools they use. It's all those things. It's kind of like your DNA and, you know, and, and that mixing with the way you interact with the world together that creates your phenotype. Well, the, the work that you do interacting with the systems that you use is your ergo phenotype. So, we, we are kind of on this quest to map the ergo phenome of the working world inside healthcare. And if we can map how humans work relative to all their humans, then we can figure out how to assist them the best way with AI. Sean, you think about this way too much, I think. You get it. You're pretty deep into it. <laughs> We're pretty obsessed with it. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. It's cool, though. I mean, and think about the fact of, yeah, we've never had a measurement. Like, I can't go to a job interview and say, hey, here's my standard productivity output, which you're going to be guaranteed if you hire me. We just haven't created that because it's been so difficult. Right. Yeah. I think if you think about the future, you know, like the ergo phenotype is a thing. You could say phenotype when I was here at these jobs and here's like you know, similar ergo phenotypes and what they produce. And you can see I maxed out. 
So you could actually look at a human worker and say, oh, you're very a very efficient, productive human worker. Um, because it's going to measure like how you use your tools and how you, how you interact with other humans. So it's very, it's a very interesting concept. Uh, since you're so deep into using tools to using AI and things, when you do your recruiting and hiring, are there certain skills that stand out to you as more important out of humans that you're looking for when you're bringing them into your company? You know, I, I think about it all the time. You know, we hire so fast and we're hiring, you know, we try to do the best job we can to make sure we have the right humans. The great paradox is, the key to building a great AI company is to build a great, you know, is, is, it's all about the humans. And it's all about, you know, getting the, the, hum, the right humans. There's a lot of things that humans can do or have the capacity to do that AI does not. You know, faith is one of them. Believing in something, mm-hmm. believing in this idea, having faith in the company like, or the vision or, you know, what you think it can do. And the capacity to to have faith in something, to believe that it's possible to, you know, it's something that is probably, uh, impro- well, is improbable, yeah. you know, like success of a startup, you know, like taking a company from a standing start and making it turn into a multi-billion dollar company. Yeah. Improbable. I feel like most, most AI entrepreneurs would have given up a long time ago because they realized this is useless. Like it's never going to work. <laughs> yeah. It's too hard. So, you know, finding people with the capacity of faith is interesting, you know, like, cause that's a very human quality. Um, you know, creativity is a human is a somewhat human quality, like creating things that never existed before. Um, so we look we look for those things, but you know, we look for people who want to be part of something and they want to trade. Like, you know, another thing that is important that humans do is sacrifice. You know, humans humans trade their time for something they think is better. You know, they'll say like, I'm going to spend my time eight hours or more of my day doing this thing because I think the trade is worth it because I think whatever I'm getting in return, financial gain or more important mission is worth it. And uh, so that's another thing that we, that we think about a lot. Well, let's talk a little bit more about your company. The, the actual reason we reached out to you was because you were talking about this idea of on the grid, off the grid, when it came to the concept of remote work, a lot of people have pushed back against that term of remote work. They want to redefine that and make sure people know exactly what we're getting out of that. So walk us through what you've introduced at Olive in terms of how you handle the distributed teams. Yeah, so we, you know, we of course were thrust into this world where we had to deal with the realities of a distributed workforce, um, just like everybody else during the global pandemic. So we had to do that. We had to figure out how to work in this in this setup. And one of the things we wanted, you know, I thought about very quickly was, you know, what do we do next? you know, is there, there's not going to be like a signal, you know, an alarm that goes off, says everybody back to your offices, back to your work. Yeah. The drill is over. Yeah. The drill is over. Everybody returns. So what I thought about in the past, you know, I'd never imagined that I would like this kind of distributed model. I never imagined that I would ever say that everybody didn't have to be in one headquarters. I had these visions of like this monolithic building in the skyline, the skyscraper with our name on it and 10,000 people working there. I mean, to me, like a CEO, like you just have those visions. And a lot of it is, you know, this edifice that you want to create because of ego and who knows what. And I really started to just introspect and be like, there's no good reason for wanting that. There's no good reason for needing that. In fact, I think it's the opposite. And we started to say, what if we were flexible, like just 100% flexible. And we allowed people to work from wherever they felt they could be the most productive. We didn't say you had to work from home, but we also said didn't say you had to work in an office. Um, 
And we kind of started to think, like, what would it take to pull something like that off? Um, and we thought, well, you gotta, you gotta name it something different. Like if you're going to, if you're going to, if you're going to have an egalitarian setup here where the, the remote worker is equal to the worker in an office, then you can't, you can't call it remote because there's a stigma associated with it. You can't say you're working from home because there's a stigma associated with it. So we said, we're going to change the vocabulary. So we called the, the plan, the grid. So that's what we use at all. It's called the grid and you're either on the grid or you're off the grid. That's it. You're not, there's no other classification. It's not like I'm at home. I'm on vacation. No, you're on the grid or off the grid. You can be anywhere. You can be in a spaceship. You can be at a beach. You can be in a cabin. You can be at one of our substations, which is what we call our offices now. And we are going to put substations all around the country uh, for the folks, if they would like to work, you know, in a substation, they're, they're welcome to. Uh, but they're not required to. So flexibility is the name of the game here. And so is lexicon or, you know, the way we're talking about it. So I asked the team, I said, you know, here's our new plan. Please help me eradicate work from home as a, as a, as a term and start using the terminology on the grid, off the grid. And my team is incredible. They adopted it immediately. They love it. Um, they feel, they feel empowered and it's so flexible. Um, it's been incredible so far. Talk more about the substation idea. Are these things that are already exist or are you committed to building them? Are you going to rent out spaces or are you going to, how, how are you going to build that out to where people that want a, an office to go to have that availability? Yeah. So they're, they're going to be small. You know, I don't, I think the days of monolithic offices are over, like they're dead because, you know, monolithic offices are a global health risk. I mean, look at, you know, look at like Facebook, Google, or any of these with, with giant offices, they cannot bring people back to them. You can't bring 10,000 people back to one building or 1,000. I mean, you just, you just can't do it right now. So it's it really creates a lot of inflexibility. So small is better. Small teams are, are, are fast, they're agile. And if I have 30 offices of 10 people, it's better than having one office of 300 because I can turn them on and off You know, when things happen around the, around the world whenever I need to. Um, so what we're going to do, we're going to use... Uh, a few criteria to create a substation. Criteria one is that we have a major customer site there. We call them alpha sites. And an alpha site is where we have engineers on site at a hospital. They are working with our customers to create their AI workforce. Um, if we have one of those nearby and it's in an MSA, like a metropolitan uh, service area, then it's eligible for an alpha site. So, so long as we see one, we find it, we find the talent pool there, we can activate that and, and put a substation. We're going to focus on the tech communities. So we're going to look at for the, like, you know, the tech hub in a city, the place where all the tech companies come together and they have events and maybe there's some co-working space and we're going to plop right down the middle of that. And that's going to be our substation. Uh, first one's going to, uh, we're building right now in Baltimore. Then the second criteria is that Anywhere 10 Olivians gather. And so Olivians are what we call people who work at all of. So if 10 Olivians are in Omaha and they say, we'd love to have a substation, we will build a substation. So it can really be self-directed by the Olivians. Mm -hmm. like wherever they think they want to work, they show up. There's 10, we build a substation. So it's really interesting from that perspective too, because people are now like saying, we need like one more person in Chicago. We need two more people. <laughs> Key West. <laughs> yeah. And has this expanded any at all to thinking about international hiring, broadening beyond these bases? Has that, have you made plans for that at all? 
not yet, but I think it's inevitable. I haven't yet just because of focus and, and resources, but it's possible and probable. Um, you know, we will become a global distributed workforce. Um, surely I can't imagine a future that we're not a globally, globally distributed workforce. Um, and, you know, frankly, I, somebody could move to another country right now and be on the grid. Um, so there's nothing stopping that from happening today. Um, I think one of the other, you know, things that we're going to consider, we have a, we have a condo in Florida, um, in Amelia Island that our employees can use whenever they'd like. And that thing is like booked solid now because people are just working, working there. Um, so we'll probably do more of that. We'll probably open up these little like respites, if you will, places where people can go and get away and still be on the grid. And, uh, I think that'll be an interesting perk. It'll be something that we'll see more companies do. Sean, it's been great talking with you. I love the fact that you're you're the type of leader who's asking that question of like, you know, what if, why not? Let's, let's try this out. You seem like your, your head is, you know, at least a good five years into the future, trying to imagine where we can be, like where we should be going to. So that's a great place to be. And it's a great place to encourage others to get to. And that if you can give one bit of advice for other CEOs who are out there who are thinking about this, thinking about how to move themselves forward, what's helpful for you as you try to keep your mind out there in the future? You know, don't be dogmatic. Don't latch on to these ideas that you've had in your head for a long time. You know, what you thought was reality is probably wrong. I mean, really question, question those things that you've thought are true for, you know, these, these maxims that you've held on to for a long time, question them, uh, be willing to flip them upside down. It's pretty refreshing and, and it feels good to be wrong about things over the long arc of time, but being able to admit it and being able to like accept the new reality is, is really cool. So that would be my advice. I like that one. It feels good to be wrong about things. I, I wish more people would take that approach. It's good. Good. Well, Sean, thanks so much for being on the show. If people want to learn more about you and your company, where should they go? Um, all of AI.com. Um, and my personal page is sllane.com. Um, a lot of writings there. So either two of those, that's a good place to start. Excellent. Well, Sean, thanks so much. It's been a blast and we hope to be in touch with you again soon. Thanks a lot, Neil. This has been the Digital Workplace Podcast. If you liked it, please take a minute to leave a review wherever you Go to thedigitalworkplace.com and sign up for our twice a month newsletter. It keeps you up to date on the best ways to build a level five digital workplace. Music for the show is provided by City of Sound. I'm your host, Neil Miller. Keep moving forward.